Anybody know him? Gene Tips. He's from Seymour, Texas. On May 21st, 1967, Mr. Tips was involved in a very, very serious automobile accident where he suffered severe head injuries. He was in a coma for three weeks, of which after he remained in a state of unconsciousness for eight years. Eight years. Let me tell you about his routine. For eight years, every single day of his life, this was his routine. His mom and dad, they would come to the hospital. They would prop him up in his hospital bed. They would then transfer him from his hospital bed into a chair. They would take pillows and they would prop him up and brace him in that chair. They would begin to make food for him. They would put it on that fork. They would literally open his mouth with their hands. They would feed him. They would literally chew the food for him. The only thing he could do was swallow on his own. After that, they would, after they had finished eating, they would comb his hair. They would talk to him for a while. Then they would return him back to his bed for eight years of his life. One day, after eight years of sleeping, as his nurse was about to administer some medication that he needed, he awoke suddenly and startled her. After eight years of sleeping, of course the nurse's reaction, one of complete shock. She calls the family, they come rushing to the home, or to the hospital. They call all their friends, they call all their relatives, they call all the doctors, and they rejoice because after sleeping for eight years, their son was now awake. Watch this. To which someone asked some very important questions. Gene, after eight years of sleeping... What was it like to sleep for all those years? Tips replied, it's very strange. My girlfriend is now married with kids. The Vietnam War is over. To everyone else, I'm 28 years old, but in my mind, I'm still just 20 years old. Think about it for a second. He slept from 1965, uh, I'm sorry, from 1967 to 1975. When he went to sleep, Lyndon B. Johnson was president of the United States. When he woke up, Jimmy Carter was smiling in the White House. He slept all through Richard Nixon's presidency. Could you imagine sleeping for eight years? Anybody want to sign up for that? (laughs) We got one. one. We'll pray for you. Um, Listen, hear me. I believe if we were honest, if we all were to be transparent here this morning, that there's a group of dear friends of ours, people that we know, maybe even us ourselves, could it be that the church in general has been sleeping for way longer than eight years? Think about it with me for just a second throughout history. Some of you can remember the 1950s. Okay, almost all of you can remember the 19th. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you. 
Most of us, most of you can remember the 1950s. Listen, it was the last time that God moved in an amazing way here in our country on a large scale. Watch, on a large scale. The 1950s were post-World War II days. The economy was good. Patriotism was high. Billy Graham was filling football stadiums filled with people. He was boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and men and women were being saved for the glory of God. There were people who were effectively and actively sharing their faith with their neighbors and people were responding to the call of God. But towards the end of that great decade, the churches all across the land almost emphatically made this statement. We've worked hard. Now it's time to rest. The 1960s were the most turbulent time in our nation's history. We expelled God, the Bible, and prayer from our public schools. A group known as the hippies ushered in the drug culture. We were sending our young boys to the rice fields of a country called Vietnam. The Beatles brought rock and roll to our shores. Racial violence rocked our inner cities. And finally, the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963 and Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968 sent our country into a tailspin. The 70s dawned, and with them the radical feminine movement emerged. The Supreme Court decided that unborn babies have no rights, and abortion on demand was legalized. The Watergate scandal prompted President Nixon to lie on national television. Inflation was high. Morals and patriotism was at an all-time low. And a small country called Iran held some of our citizens hostage and in so doing held the greatest nation in the world hostage as well. We would attempt to get and rescue them. We would send two helicopters over to rescue them and we know that they would inevitably crash in the desert. Yet despite the moral decay and the corruption in our nation, the church hit the snooze button. It rolled over in bed, pulled the covers up over its head, and continued to sleep. The 70s moved in. I'm sorry, the 80s. And with it, the New Age movement emerged. Widespread interest in the occult, witchcraft, psychics, and Satanists abounded. As Americans studied their horoscopes, the church was rocked by the moral failures of Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. Crack would pollute our inner cities, gangs would ravage our inner cities, but the church refused to wake up. In the 1990s, the church, instead of getting out of bed, would hang a do not disturb sign on the door. We would elect a president who would become pro-homosexual, and pro-abortion. Listen to this. Our Senate and House alike would pass a bill that would have banned partial birth abortions, but our president vetoed that bill. He appointed a surgeon general who did not want our children to smoke cigarettes, but was okay with them practicing safe sex in the 1990s. Now, we're in a new millennium. The war has been brought to our homeland 2001, September 11th, the bombing of the World Trade Centers in the Twin Towers in New York. Listen to me, church. Homosexuality and pornography run rampant in America today. 
According to Huffington Post, 30% of all data transferred across the internet is pornography. 70% of men, 30% of women watch and deal with pornography on a daily basis. The most staggering statistic, porn sites get more traffic, watch, than Twitter, Amazon, and Netflix combined. Hey church, it's time that we wake up. There's a need to get out of bed. And it's bigger than just you. And it's bigger than just me. It's our wake-up call this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father. You are holy. And righteous and just. And worthy of all praise and honor. God, I thank you this morning for your son, Jesus Christ. God, who bore my sin and my shame that was so fitting and deserving for me, but God, through your grace and your love, he took it upon himself so that I might have life in him. Lord, this morning, I pray that your spirit would fill this place. God, that we would be a church God, that wants to turn back to you. God, that we would be a voice in our community that points people to you. God, that we would stand boldly upon your word and the truth that it is. God, that we would wake up spiritually in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our own homes. And declare you as King of kings and Lord of lords. So God, this morning as we open your word, I pray that you would remove me God, that you would speak boldly through me. And God, that it would be nothing that I do, but all about what you do through the proclamation of your word because we know that your word does not return void. And so God, pierce our hearts this morning that we may be used by you. It's in your precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. All throughout the Old Testament, you see God constantly warning the nation of Israel and calling them into action. And so through his prophet Joel, he's going to do the same to the nation of Israel, now living in Judah, the southern kingdom, right before the Babylonians are going to come in and ransack Jerusalem. You guys remember Babylon's, the Babylonians, they come in, they, they take over Jerusalem, and you know what they do? They take the best of all of the Israelites. Do you remember? Uh, remember guys by the name of Daniel. Remember guys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were captive by the Babylonians. But before that takes place, God speaks through his prophet Joel to the nation of Israel living in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he proclaims to them a wake-up call. And I believe this morning that the call God used through um, Joel to his people, listen, is the same call that's applicable for your life and my life today, for the church's life Today, I want three things this morning that I want to give you. God's desire is a spiritual awakening. He's sounding the spiritual alarm. He's crying out for his people, and he's saying it's time to get out of bed. Three truths this morning about God's wake-up call. Number one, three truths about God's uh, wake-up call this morning. Number one, God's call is a gracious call. God's call is a gracious call. Call Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12, we read this. 
Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. What is that? A gracious call? Listen, he says, even now, Judah, though your, your women have poured out drink offerings before, before false gods made of stone and wood, even now, though your men have taken your babies down to the city of Jerusalem, there uh, in the valley of Hinnom, where the false god of Molech, the demon god, has his altar, and they sacrifice your babies on that altar to a false god, even though your priesthood is corrupt, your politicians are scandalous, and your hands are stained with blood. Listen, return to me with all your heart. Despite all that you've done, despite your unfaithfulness, despite turning your back on me, a holy God, and worshiping false gods, no matter what you've done, God says through the prophet Joel, listen, return even now. It's a gracious call. It reminds me of the call that Jesus said. It's not on the screen. If you have a pen, you might want to write this down. It's Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, the, the, um, sorry, the, 32, the 32nd verse, it says this. Have I not come, I'm sorry, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, God, through Joel, tells the nation of Israel, hey, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've faced, all of the terrible things that you've done, now I want you to turn back to me, repent, come back to me. And Jesus said to us, hey, listen, those of you who are sinners, return to me, come to me. It's the same call. No matter what we've done, oh, Pastor Luke, you have no idea about my life. You don't know what I did last week. You don't know what I did last year. You have no idea. My life is in shambles. And I want to tell you this. The nation of Israel from time to time was in shambles. They were completely reckless. They, they, they made terrible decisions. They did horrific things. But listen, the love of God is greater than all of that. And no matter what you've done last night, no matter where you were, no matter what, you've, what you're going through, the circumstances you're facing, none of that matters. Here's why. Because in Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. And it doesn't matter our past, because in him, our future is secure. And so... It's a gracious, gracious call. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Luke, I've never put my faith and trust in God like you're saying. I want to tell you something. The Bible says in 1 John that if you, if me, if we confess our sins, that he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So it doesn't matter your past. And we're going to see that when it comes full circle. But I promise you this. Today could be the day of salvation for you. That you would trust Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
That you would believe that he, a loving God, loved you and me so much that he sent his only son to pay the price that I was supposed to pay. But instead, he took it upon his own son. He put it upon him so that in him, in his death, burial, and resurrection, I would have life in him today. And if that's you, maybe today would be your day of salvation. Oh, Luke, I I did that 35 years ago. I did that back in the 50s. Maybe God's calling you today to return back to him because for the last 40 years, you have not been living for him. And just as he told the nation of Israel living in Judah, hey, come back. The time is now. Today is the day that you come back to the Lord, that you begin to give your heart over to him this morning. You see, I believe it is a gracious call. If you look at verse 13, Joel begins to list some of the attributes of God. He says in verse 13, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Quick question, aren't you glad that God is slow to anger as a loving Father? Amen? Hey, listen, I'm a dad. Yesterday, my wife was off. I had all six kids, right? I'm a loving dad. I believe I'm a lot more loving than my wife. I tend to be the fun dad, be the the happy-go-lucky dad. But yesterday, I had a short fuse. Yesterday, I was like, man, I got to preach tomorrow. I got to bring the word. And I get stressed, those of you that know me, when I got to stand up here, it's like, dude, the weight of God is upon me. And I'm telling you something. It's like, yesterday, my kids... The wrath of dad was coming yesterday. Get in your room. Go to the... Yeah! It was bad. And I tell you that because, listen, aren't you glad God's not like that? Because in my sin, I snap. I get angry. And it's not righteous anger. And I know it. I'm sorry. I got to tell my kids I'm sorry. But God is completely righteous. And he's slow to anger. Do you see the amazing attributes of God? He is, what's the first? He's gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. Abounding in love. Hear me. It's a gracious call. When I think of grace, there's several stories that come to mind. But look at verse 14. He says, who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Watch. You and I don't deserve God's grace. It's almost, do you hear the sarcasm in verse 14? Hey, who knows? Maybe if you return to God, if you repent, who knows? He might, he might actually forgive you. He might actually pour out his blessing upon you. Who knows? Listen to me. You know why the sarcasm? Because you and I don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do. I can't do enough good things for God to love me anymore. I can't. One of the greatest stories of grace in my mind, listen, it's the story of Hosea. Do you guys know it? Uh, I'm sure you probably do, but for those of you that don't, let me just walk through it real quickly. Again, not going to turn there. My version, it's it's not copyrighted. It's not authoritative, okay? It's, It's my version, but Hosea, he gets a wife. Her name? Gomer. Gomer, she, um, yeah, um, so she's unfaithful to her husband. In fact, um, she has three kids with her husband and then commits adultery and leaves to become a what? 
a prostitute, like, like that's, that's not a good thing. It's not a woman of character. It's not a, a, a woman with high integrity. And so um, Hosea, listen to me, this is amazing grace. Um, Hosea um, continues to be faithful to the Lord. And even though his wife left him and his kids and all the shame and the humiliation that comes with that, one day as he began to pray to the Lord, God, God said, hey, hey, Hosea, listen, hey, go, go downtown, go, go downtown. And, and I could just picture Hosea, one, watch this, he's obedient, he follows God's call, but I could just picture Hosea as he's walking downtown, he's probably coming to an area of town that's probably not the best part of town. Luke, why would you say that? How can you say that? Well, they're selling slaves in this part of town, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a meat market of humans, it's not cattle, it's not fish, it's not duck, no, 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 it's, it's humans, probably not the best part of town, and as Hosea walks over there, it's as if something catches his eye. It's almost as if he makes eye contact with one of those that are being being sold there in slavery. Could it be Could it be that his wife, Gomer, who left him to become a prostitute, could somehow still be alive but is now captive in the slave trade and now being sold as a slave? Could it very well be? Listen, he obeyed the Lord. And all of a sudden, he comes face to face with the woman who fled and left him in all her pride, arrogance, and rebellion. And it's almost as if However, however many years she was there, God used that to humble her. Watch this. I want to write this down. It's not on the screen. Listen. Sin always fascinates. Hear me, men. Sin always fascinates. Hear me, wives. Sin always fascinates. Hear me, youth. Sin always fascinates, but sin always assassinates. It always kills Listen, maybe not you, maybe not me, but Jesus came and died for the sins of man. It killed him. Sin always fascinates. The Bible tells us that sin is fun for a season, but it always assassinates. And so Gomer is there being sold. And listen, God tells Hosea something that is just unbelievable. He says, Hosea, buy her back. Pay whatever that you have to pay. Whatever the price is, it doesn't matter. Just buy her back and bring her home. Hosea, I want you to love her. Protect her. Be kind and compassionate to her. Here's why. For just as she's been unfaithful to you, my people Israel have been unfaithful to me. And just as she has committed physical adultery to you, listen, my people, Israel, have committed spiritual adultery to me. Buy her back and display my grace. And before you get all high and mighty and go, dude, if I was Hosea, there's no way. That person would be dead to me, cut off. Never again would I ever consider even being in a room. They have committed adultery. They have left me. Hear me, you and I are Gomer in that story. You see, God bought you and I at a price to set us free from sin. Oh, God's call is a call of grace. Amen? Amen. Hear me. Number two, God's call is a call, but it's a demanding call. God's wake-up call is a demanding call. Call. Hear me, God is not in the business of asking people. He's in the business of telling people. I work with teenagers 
all the time. I work with little kids. I was thinking about this since 2000. I have worked with from kindergarten all the way up to college age kids since the year 2000. And here's what I've learned. There are those kids, and I've seen it. My wife will testify. We see kids who hit their parents. We see kids who argue with their parents. We see kids who uh, talk back, who are disrespectful, who are rude to their parents. Do you know what those kids need? They need a whooping. Oh, Luke, my pediatrician says that it's not good. Listen to me. Tell your pediatrician and whoever else tells you that it's wrong, that they're wrong. Here's why. The word of God says that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. They're to honor and respect. And that you and I are to spare the rod and spoil the child. Now, before you think I'm a child abuser, hear me. No kid of mine will ever disrespect their mother. Why? Because I'm a parent. Hear me. I have parents come into my office, sit down, and say, Pastor Luke, we don't know what to do. And I said, I'm sorry. Are you still the parent? I I, I forgot. Did they start paying the mortgage? Did they start paying their cell phone bills, their car insurance, their food, their clothes, the house over the head? Like, really? Like, you're the parent. Watch. I'm getting somewhere. Trust me. I'm not on a soapbox. I'm really not. Hear me, just as parents have the right to tell their kids what to do, a holy God has the right to tell his people what to do. Hey, (laughs) somebody said preach that. (laughs) I'm trying. Listen, God's call is a demanding call. God has the right, and watch this, God is not asking Judah to wake up. He's telling them to. And God's going to take it a step further. He doesn't just tell them to get out of bed. Like, like most parents, like, I, for some reason, I don't have this problem. I'm actually in bed longer than my kids. Um, they come in and they're like, Dad, get out of bed. But um, uh, I can remember my father coming into my room and saying, Son, get out of bed. It's time to go. It's time to go mow the lawn. It's time to go to whatever the case may be. Listen, my dad never told me how I could get out of bed. He didn't tell me to, like, to just roll or do the one leg side over, sit up. Like he, he never told me how to get out of bed. He just said, get out of bed. Watch. God tells the nation of Israel how to wake up. Look at it. Look at how he says. He's very specific. In order for us to understand this, we have to go back to chapter 1 of Joel, starting in verse 13. He says this. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn, wail, You who minister before the altar, come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. The grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. What is it that he wants? Put on sackcloth, wail, mourn, Declare a holy fast. Yes, real quickly, go over to Joel 2.12. Look what he says again. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and here's how. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Did you catch that? Listen, God's call is a demanding call. Here's how he wants us to wake up. With fasting, with weeping, 
with mourning. I learned something at a very young age because I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home, go to Christian school my whole life. I learned something. Somebody once said to me, Luke, if it's in the Bible more than once, it's pretty important. It's pretty important. Hey, listen, here's how we've got to wake up. With fasting, weeping, and mourning, he's calling the nation of Israel to wake up. That's the how. The how. Well, that would then lead us then to the, the who. Who needs to wake up? The who? Not the singing group. But us. Again, go back to Joel chapter 1, verse 13. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn and wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. Here's what he's saying. Who does it start with? Listen, revival has to start with leadership. It has to. It starts with pastors and men teaching the word of God. Oh, preach it, Luke. Way to go. Those of you who stand up in the pulpits. Those of you who lead us in our Sunday school classes. Those of you who are... Listen. If we jump ahead of ourselves, we forget. And we become arrogant and cocky. And so in order for us to understand, we've got to look at verse 16. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Then you go into 17, look at 17. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Listen, it's not just pastors, hear me. The who, it's pastor and pew alike. It's leaders and laymen. It's everyone. If we want revival to start, if we want to see God start moving in our country again, it's got to start with all of us. It can't just be pastors who on Sunday stand up and preach to 600 people and then those 600 people do nothing. No, it's got to be everybody together for the cause of Christ. That's the who. So we have the how, fasting, weeping, mourning. The who, it's pulpit and pew, it's leaders and laymen, it's, it's everyone Well, then the only other logical question would be when. When is it that we're supposed to return to God? When? What's verse 12 say? Even what? Now. Even now. You see, one thing my wife hates, and I'm just being transparent, being honest, she'll say, Luke, I need you to do something. I need you to empty the garbage. I need you to hang a picture. I need you to change the diaper. I need you to, you know, do the laundry. Not very often. I need you to mow the lawn. Whatever the case may be. From time to time, she'll ask me to do something. And my response is always good in nature. It is always wholesome. You know what my response is? Okay, honey, no problem. Anybody else? Husbands, do you answer the same way? See, but something doesn't register in my mind. I say okay, to which I've answered her question. I'll do it. But it doesn't answer the when you'll do it. Sometimes later she'll come back, Luke, I thought I asked you to empty the garbage. You did, oh, the garbage, it's full, it's overflowing, and you're cooking in the kitchen, and you got meat and stuff you got to throw away, but you can't because the, the garbage is full, and you wanted me to, oh, oh, not now. Sorry, I was, now. It's now. Hey, we're to return to the Lord now, church. Some of us, listen, 
It's been years, and now we've got to go back to him. We've got to stop doing it our way and in our time and go now, back to the Lord. He says, even now, now. Uh, he says to Judah, repent now. Watch this. This is kind of cool. Rich, you're doing an awesome job. Thanks for hanging with me. I know I'm kind of like all over. Look at verse 16 one more time for me. He says this, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room in the bride, her chamber. What? What? What does that have to do with timing? What does that have to do with when? I'll tell you. Those of you that got married, do you remember that day? That special day for me, July 12th, 2003. Remembered it, babe. All right. All you men who don't know your wedding day, you better, listen, quick trick. Uh, don't, don't do this, but you know how I remember it? It's my passcode for everything. I can never forget it. Now, don't steal my stuff, okay? All right. But, but listen, you remember that day? Do you remember the rules for that day? The bride stays in her spot. The groom stays in his spot. And neither, two shall, the, they, neither shall they meet until the doors open and she come. I can still remember. Those doors opening, her eyes beaming like, what am I doing? And I was, listen, I was all smiles. She was like, oh, God. No, I'm just kidding. Um, watch. A bride and groom aren't supposed to see each other. Why? It's bad luck. It's bad. It's tradi- here's, what, here's what Joel's saying. He says, forget all your engagements. It's more important. Don't go, don't stop the wedding now and return to me. Before you do anything else, before the bride and groom get married, return to me. Don't let them go through with any engagements. Fulfill what you need to do now. And now is that we need to return to him. Man. When? Now. Last. Last one. Where? Where? Joel chapter 2 verse 13. Rend your heart not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. What does it mean to to rend your heart and not your garments? I I struggled with that. I'm reminded of a story. Here's what I think. I think we all struggle with that statement. Rend your heart and not your garments. What are you talking about? Rend? What's rend? What's your heart? I get that. Garments? Okay. Watch. There's a little boy whose mom said, son, sit down. To which the little boy looked back at his mom and said, no, I'm not going to sit down. So, of course, the mom did the only motherly thing she knew to do. She raised her voice. I said, sit down. And she does the finger, you know, down. To which the boy said, no, not going to sit down. So the mother walks over to that little boy, places her hands on his shoulders, and forces him into a chair. And she said, I told you to sit down. To which that little boy looked up at his mom and said, I'm sitting down outwardly, but I'm standing up inwardly. Now we laugh, but watch. That is all of us. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. You know what that means? So many of us, we walk in here on Sunday morning and outwardly we've got it all together and everybody thinks we are spiritual giants. We're living for the Lord. Glory to God. But inwardly, we're the most rebellious people there are. That's why do you think God said to Samuel when he was looking at David, he said, Samuel, don't, don't look at David's Outward appearance. 
For the Lord doesn't look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And hear me, church, you can put on your facade. You can put on your nice clothes. All of that doesn't matter because God knows your heart. He says, rend your heart and not your garments to the Lord. Hey, church, watch. We sing it. It starts from the inside out. Where? Well, it starts, listen, where? It starts in our hearts, but not just our hearts. Look at verse 17. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. What is that? Listen, not only our hearts, but, but it's got to start in our sanctuaries. It's got to start in our churches We need to cry out to the Lord on behalf of the people in our community that he would spare their soul. Listen, when was the last time you prayed for your neighbor's salvation? Oh, we put on our Sunday best and go. When was the last time you invited them to come with you? It's got to start in our churches. Our churches got to return back to the Lord. You see, we can't keep doing the same old thing and expect revival to happen. You can't. Something's got to give. Do you know what the difference was from the nation of Israel and us? Do you know what the difference? It's the how. How? Fasting, weeping, mourning. Fasting. Giving something up so that you can get alone with God and build that relationship on behalf of something. When was the last time you fasted? Oh, Luke, I've never fasted. Maybe it's time you start. When was the last time your heart broke for somebody who was lost and dying and going to hell? Two weeks ago, I had an unbelievable opportunity to go to uh, Deerfield Beach Middle School. First priority. Shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Dave Geyer. Listen, 12 kids responded to the call of Jesus Christ on their life. Why? Because it simply presented the gospel. Because there's a need and there's a burden for lost people that are dying and going to hell. Hey guys, when was the last time you began to mourn for somebody who doesn't know Jesus instead of wallowing in our self-righteousness. That's what was different. The who, listen, the how, that's how. The who, it starts with us. It starts with men and women who will boldly proclaim the truth of God's word, who care more about what God says than what man says. They care more about thus says the Lord than thus says men. It starts with pastors who care more about the anger of God than their congregation. It starts with men and women, laymen and leadership who boldly teach God's word. And when we teach it, hear me, if you teach this and it offends a deacon in the church, who cares? If you teach this and a Sunday school teacher gets mad, so what? As long as it's the word of God. You know what's happening today? There are those who want to to squash pastors from preaching against things that God calls an abomination. They want to call it a hate crime. Now listen, I pray God will always give me the strength to boldly proclaim this because it's not my words, it's his words, and I believe it. Man, the who, it's us. Listen, the when, it's now. Break up the wedding. Run to the Lord now where it's in our hearts. It's in our churches. Oh, that a 
that Grace Baptist Church would be a place that revival breaks out and we begin to reach this community right here. Luke, this community, yes, this community, that we would reach it for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be more concerned with the people outside these walls than the people inside these walls. Oh, when, now, where, here, Pompano Beach, Deerfield Beach, Lighthouse Point. Last thing and I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, dadgummit. God's wake-up call, listen, it's a rewarding call. I don't have time to read it all, but if you were to read Joel chapter 2, 18 through 27, you would see that it is a rewarding call. But I want to highlight three things just to show you, and then I'm done. Look how cool this is. Look at verses 21 and 22 of Joel chapter 2. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig and the vine yield their riches. What is that? It's the restoration of the land. When Israel turns back to God, he begins to restore the land. What? How cool is that? Not just the restoration of the land, but look at the rejoicing of the people. Look at verse 23. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. Oh, that's good. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. Hey, listen, when you're obedient to God, he pours down his faithfulness. The song Oceans, man, I, I love the song. It talks about just so much, but one of them, the, the lines today, and I'm going to mess it up, but it was on my heart, was like, you, God, you've never failed, and you won't start now. You don't think I was proclaiming that right there as I was getting ready? Hey, I know God's not going to fail. I may fail. I may get weak, but he doesn't. Oh, the last thing. Oh, sorry. The promises of God. Ready? Look at verse 24 and 25. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarms, my great army that I sent among you. Listen, the, the promises of God. i close with a little quick story. There was a story of a young man who who with agony in his eyes made this statement. He said this. He said, you know, I've become a Christian and it's wonderful, but it's been in the later years of my life. But when I look back to what I've missed in the years of my life that I've wasted, my heart gets sick remembering it. If I had only the sense to come to the Lord sooner, before I did all those terrible things. Man, what a statement. But what a God. Did you read verse 25? I will repay you the years the locusts have eaten. Hey church, your past, God restores us. It's time that we as a church return to the Lord. That we repent from our wickedness and run to him. You see, it's a rewarding call. Hey, church, the alarm's going off. It's time that we wake up. 